0: This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. Good morning, Vine Lifers. How are you guys doing today? Everybody good? All right. This morning, uh, if, you, if we haven't met yet, my name is Bobby. I'm the associate pastor here at Vine Life. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue a series that we have entitled Eternal Life This Is a Way. Little Star Wars reference, I love it. We have been walking through the book of John. And we've been looking at the life of Christ and, and how he interacts with people, how he interacts with his disciples. And so today, uh, as we continue to go through this text, we're actually going to see our series title come to life in our text, which is really cool. Uh, we're going to be looking at John 17 today, so if you have your Bibles with you and you would like to kind of start getting there, that's, that's a good place to start, and, and we're going to be in and out of scripture this morning as we kind of dig into what God would have to say through us, or through, through his word today uh, to us, and so as we pull apart this amazing moment where Christ intercedes for his disciples and for us on our behalf, and he reveals this insane love that he has for us. Um, I pray that this morning, um, through this message, that you, through reading the scripture, that you will know God a little bit deeper, just a little bit more intimately, that you'll know his character, that you'll see his righteousness, that you'll see his heart, that you will see his glory unveiled in our lives today. And so as we draw our attention to the scripture, I want to take a moment to get us into the frame of mind that Christ was experiencing at this moment um, as he's speaking out this prayer, This intercession. Last week we discussed in the previous chapter how this whole ordeal is like childbirth, right? That that there's this anticipation uh, of a mother giving birth to her child, knowing that there is going to be a lot of pain, that there's going to be a lot of sacrifice, but that the end product is new life. I have never given birth. I don't know what that feels like. I don't. The closest I've ever come is what I was told is that I had kidney stones. I guarantee you has nothing, nothing like childbirth because at the end of childbirth, you have a child at the end of a kidney stone. You have this little pebble, right? That's just all it is, and it's, it's not cool, all right? But this, this idea of, of a mother holding her precious new child and that love that she feels, that intense love, overshadows the pain, overshadows the sacrifice because of that love for her child at that moment, right? Uh, my... my My family and I, we went to Busch Gardens. We have season passes to Busch Gardens this year. And so we went to Busch Gardens this past weekend and and we were standing in line for the roller coaster and I kind of got this other word picture of t- kind of thinking like when you're in the line for a roller coaster and you're about to go through something amazing, you're about to like get on this coaster and like, "Who's going to be this thrill, there's going to be a little bit of fear, there's going to be a little bit of like anxiety, like oh, you know what's going to happen if you're like me, you might get a little motion sickness, so I'm a little scared about that, you know, and all of these feelings are coming up as you're standing in line to get on this roller coaster, but after this roller coaster you're like, man, that was awesome, that was amazing, you know, and, and you kind of forget All the anxiety that you felt in that line. Now these two word pictures, they really can't really capture what Christ was going through at this moment when he was wrapping up his ministry on earth. None of these scenarios can hardly capture what he was dealing with in John 17. This man this man knew what was about to happen to him. He knew that he was about to be beaten, that he was about to be crucified, that he was about to be abandoned by his friends. I mean, he was about to be crucified on the cross, which is arguably one of the most brutal forms of corporal punishment ever invented in history. And I want us to frame our minds around this situation, his anticipation, the anxiety, the mindset, so that we can better appreciate the love that Christ has for us, even in his last moments before his death and his resurrection. If you have your Bibles open this morning, If you haven't opened them already, now's a really good time to do that. Turn to John 17. As you're flipping through those pages, I'm going to set you guys up on a little bit of a background of what we're talking about. This passage is actually called the High Priestly Prayer. And I want to tell you why that is. As you prepare, I want to give you this background information of what High Priestly Prayer means. Um, I want us to understand, so that we're all on the same page... Um, as we go through this together Hebrews 4 all right Hebrews 4 is found in the New Testament Uh, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews uh, but this is this was a letter to the early church all right and Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus is this high priest that he experienced the same temptations that we have and because of this we get to approach the throne of grace with confidence And that we receive mercy in our time of need. Okay, so this idea of priests comes from the Old Testament. Okay, the Old Testament goes through, all through the nation of Israel, all the way through, we see these priests. And these priests were men that were set aside, that were actually set up to do two things for the people. They were set apart to do two things. And there was a lot of things that they did, but they kind of fall into these two categories. They were responsible for worshiping God, And for showing other people how to worship God. Helping other people how to worship God. Okay? And so they offered up prayers and praise on behalf of the people. And one of the ways they did this, one of the ways they did this was to make sacrifices, animal sacrifices. Okay? These animal sacrifices were set in place, so they were set to atone for the sins of the people. It was this payment for our sin, you know, like we sin, the, the, the consequence of our sin is death. And so what they would do is they would say that we transfer our sins onto this animal, this animal would be killed. And it was a way for us to see the consequences of our sin. It, it, it kind of makes it all too real when you see an animal die because of something that you did. Okay, so transferring sins onto animals is kind of confusing. Like, you know, that's, how do we do that? That, that doesn't kind of make sense, it doesn't really work that way, so... That, that really, like, we don't have the power as a human being to say, like, I sinned and I'm going to throw my sin onto something else, okay? We don't have the power to do that. So God, this was a way for God to spend time with his people, and so God would actually confine himself to this room, and it was separated by a curtain, right? And only the high priest could enter this room and spend time in God's presence. That was the only person that was able to do that. So we have this picture. I know that was a real rough, just like, you know, idea of, of priests in the Old Testament, But this is how it sets up that Jesus, being this high priest, the only one who is able to actually be in the presence of God himself, actually offers himself up as a sacrifice for us. He becomes the sacrifice for us. He's also the high priest, and he's also the the sacrifice. Now we have someone who actually can take our sins and place them on himself. The consequences of our sins is death something has to die, Jesus takes that death. He becomes that sacrifice. He presents himself as the sacrifice for our sins, placing our sins on himself, purifying us from our sin and from our guilt and from our shame and giving us access to the presence of God. Jesus, our high priest, our holy sacrifice, he looked toward heaven and prayed this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. The moment has come. All of this drama is about to be loosed. And Jesus begins to pray. He begins to intercede on our behalf to the Father. And in doing so, he gives us this idea of what intercession is supposed to look like. And he says, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. I want you to pay attention to these two words, so that, because you see this in the scripture like so much. All right, we see these two words like constantly. So that, two words, we're gonna hear a lot of that today. So that, Jesus is taking time to explain why he's doing what he's doing, why he's asking what he's asking. So that's the first thing Christ explains. Why is he asking God to glorify him so that he can glorify the Father? So that the Son may glorify the Father. I want us to see this example. The whole purpose of receiving glory is so that we can give it back to God. The whole purpose of us receiving glory on earth is actually so that we can give it back to God. It's this picture of the perfect union. And it's not just for, for God the Father and Christ the Son. Like, we're actually invited into this, uh, we're actually designed to be a part of, we're, we're invited into this endless cycle of worship prompted by the Holy Spirit who dwells in each and every one of us, which means you were actually created, I was actually created to bring God glory. I was created, you were created, we were all created so that God would get glory. Here's the temptation though. The temptation is in our human nature. We want the glory. I want the glory. We want that, right? We desire that. That's something that's like in our sinful nature, I want the glory. And so, but but the example that Christ sets before us is that any glory that I receive actually belongs to God. I give all glory to God. Why? So that he can give us eternal life. And what is this eternal life that we've been talking about for 17 chapters of John? This eternal life. It's very simple. It is these words. It is to know God. Simply to know God. This is actually really interesting because it draws us to this conclusion, conclusion that the purpose of our lives is Is to know God. The purpose of my life is to know God, to worship God. It's not to live this perfect life. It's not to check off all these religious boxes. It's not even like the purpose isn't for me just to be a really good person. That's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to know God, to know him, to know him, to truly know his character, his heart, his love, his grace, his mercy, his joy, and ultimately his presence. That is eternal life this is the way this is eternal life Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before, you, before the world began. Jesus claims his deity here. There's a, a lot of times where people say that God, Jesus never actually said he was the Son of God. He actually says it right there. Jesus claims his deity. And his prayer is for the glory of the Father and the Son to be revealed in this moment. You see, all of heaven and all of, earth, all of hell, they knew who Jesus was from the moment he stepped on earth. From the moment he was born, heaven and hell knew exactly who Jesus was and what he was there to do. But, those who, but, but the, the, for the common man, they only knew him as the carpenter's son. And to those who knew Jesus, though, the ones who actually spent time with Jesus, they could see who he was. He was the son of God. He was the great high priest. He was this savior of the world. And so Jesus begins to shift his focus, his attention of this intercession to those who, who knew him. They knew Jesus. And Jesus says this. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. God, I have revealed you to them. Another translation says that I have made you known to them. I made you known to them, which is exactly that is our calling as a follower of Christ. If I if I claim to be a disciple of Christ, my job is to make God known to everyone around me, to make God known to create this meeting place, to help other people worship God, to, to create this meeting place between God and those around us. That is our calling for them to know God, to truly know him, not just know of him, not just to be able to say, like I, yeah, I believe there's a God, but to truly know who he is, to experience his presence in their lives, his spirit dwelling in them. That's our job. He says, they were yours from the beginning. You gave them to me. You entrusted them to me, and now they know you. You entrusted these these men to me, these these disciples, these men and women. You entrusted them to me, and now, God, they know you. Yeah, they know who I am, and they believe in who I am, but because you put them in my life, they now know you because of me. Here's what I love about Jesus interceding for his disciples. This is really cool because he doesn't focus on the negative he doesn't focus on all the bad things he doesn't focus he doesn't go to the Father and you know tell of all the disciples' struggles and say God are you sure are you sure you want this one in heaven? I mean just making sure are you sure you want this you know this disciple I mean Peter he's got some anger issues God are you sure are you sure you want Peter in heaven you know like uh, Matthew, he was a tax collector. I think he struggles with a little bit of greed. You know, God, are you sure? Like, he didn't bring up the fact that, that the disciples had trouble understanding the, the, the kingdom of heaven when Jesus would explain it to them. He didn't, he didn't, you know, bring up the fact that they were, like, struggling with this pride and arguing who is the greatest in the kingdom. Simply, Jesus simply says this. He says, you entrusted them to me, and now they know you. You entrusted them To me, and now they're yours. And he speaks highly of them, and we see his heart for them, we see his desire for them to be included into the kingdom of God. Church, I I think it's possible, is it possible maybe, that we spend a little bit too much time focusing on the negative when we pray for people, when we when we share the gospel with people, when we share Christ with other people? Is it is it sometimes that we focus a little bit too much on the negatives? Do we come to God and point out all the flaws in someone else's life so that God can deal with them, deal with their sin, and we kind of point that out. God, don't forget about this that they've done. Don't forget about, man, they're really, this is the kind of person they are. Are you sure that you want me to go and talk to this person? Are you sure you want me to pray for this person? As if God already doesn't see those things. Is it possible that we fall into this trap sometimes, church, of, of making sure that we point out all of the areas in someone else's life where God needs to distribute his grace? I mean, in a way, we start to micromanage the mercy of God in other people's lives. For so long, for so long, our church, not our church, but church in general, our church in, 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 in culture has been known for what we are against. We are so quick to make it known when someone else is breaking the rules. We are so quick to expose someone who makes choices outside of the word of God. And we are so quick to use the name of God as if we are small children about to tattle on our sibling. And in all of that, we've earned this reputation of All the things we're against. I mean, there's no shortage of Christians making it known to the world of all the things that we're against. I don't know about you, but isn't it time that we are a people that we would be known for what we are for? What would it look like if we were more concerned about introducing God's grace and mercy to people rather than confronting them with their sin? What would it look like if we spent more time focused on creating that meeting place between God and other people around us instead of us telling them what they're doing wrong? What would it look like if we could truly say, God, I made you known to them. I didn't just talk to them about you. I didn't just tell them all the rules that are listed in the Bible. I, I showed them your character in my life. I showed them who you are because of the way that I live. I showed them who you are because of who you are in me. I invited them to experience your presence because they are yours, God. And now, because you placed them in my life, now they know that you're, they're yours. God, we are for people. We are for them experiencing your presence. We are for them knowing you, truly knowing you. Jesus continues, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me for they are yours all i have is yours and all you have is in, is mine and glory has come to me through them jesus gets very specific right now he says i'm not praying for everyone right now i'm not praying for the whole world right now what i'm praying for right now is those who you have entrusted to me god it was those who jesus spent time with that he invested into that he was close to that he, he got to pour into directly. That's who he's praying for. God brings people into our lives so that we can invest into them. God brings people into our lives who need to know God. And he brings them into our lives so that he can expose his character and who he is through us. The relationships that are in our lives serve a purpose in the kingdom of God. It isn't just to make us popular or feel good about ourselves or or to get that next promotion or whatever that is. It's not so that we just have a lot of friends and we can have these big parties. That's not what it is about. Our relationships are literally for the glory of God. The relationships that we have in our lives are for the glory of God. The people that are in our lives are for His glory. And so the question is, how are we reflecting God's character to those around us? It all comes down to glory, doesn't it? It always comes down to glory. It all comes down to who gets the glory. Am I living my life for my glory or am I living my life for God's glory? God's glory. We're all seeking glory. Is it for God or is it for man? Is it for myself? Here's the thing about glory. When we seek for ourselves, It's never enough. It can never, ever, 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 ever satisfy. You can never be too popular, you can never be too rich, you can never be too powerful. You will never, ever, ever be satisfied. You will always, always, always crave more. But when we figure out that the glory in this world was never meant to belong to us, and we place it where it belongs, it satisfies something in our soul. It satisfies us. Being a follower of Christ doesn't mean that everything is going to go perfect from now on. It doesn't mean that that all of a sudden all your relationships are going to go perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to be wealthy and healthy. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to struggle with anxiety or depression. Being a follower of Christ doesn't immediately solve all your problems or answer all your questions, but what it does do is reveal a loving Father, a Creator, a God in heaven who loves you, who gave his son to die for you, satisfying that wrath for your sins, it means that you are now invited to be part of a family and spend eternity in perfect union that does actually satisfy our souls. Because it was where we were created to be. And the glory of God is revealed to us in that moment. The more time we spend experiencing his glory, the more we crave and hunger for his glory to be revealed because it satisfies us, and we want more of it, and it outshines all of those other attempts that we have at bringing in our own glory. Jesus says, I pray for them because they are yours. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. God, I fulfilled my calling. The work that you set out before me, I fulfilled that. It is complete. I gave you, I gave them your words. I I made you known to them, those that you entrusted me to. I protected them. I encouraged them. I, I I revealed you to them through my life and through my words. So that when Christ Jesus, the man, is no longer with them, they will still know God. They will still be faithful to what. They have been taught. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. The goal, church, is unity. The goal is to be united with Christ and to be united with the Father. The goal is for us as the body of Christ to be one with each other and one with God. If I had to summarize this entire message up today, it would be summed up in this, that God gets the glory and the world will know of God's glory because of our unity and because of our love for one another. God gets the glory because we love one another. So why doesn't the world know about the glory of God? Why, why does the world not proclaim the glory of God constantly? Why are we not just com- constantly just proclaiming the word of God? Why, why is our country, our nation, not proclaiming the glory of God? Why is our city or our town or whatever not proclaiming the glory of God? I mean, are there not enough churches? Are there not enough Christians? Are there not enough people who call themselves followers of Christ? Could it possibly be that maybe we're just not that good at unity? We're just not that good at unity. And if that's the case, why is that? Why is that as Christians, we aren't known for our unity, and yet this is the very thing that Christ prays for us? Instead, we're actually known for our lack of unity. We are known for our separations, our dividing lines, our denominations. We have denominations within denominations, we even have denominations for people who don't want to be in a denomination right? It all comes back to the fact that we as Christians, we are known for what we are against. If I don't like this church, I'm going to try the one down the street. If this church offends you, well, let's go find somewhere less offensive. If the pastor said something you don't like today, well, let's sneak out the back door and sneak away to somewhere else instead of pursuing unity. Instead of having conversations, instead of building each other up and encouraging each other we create these dividing lines based on how we worship we put up these walls to keep up this perfect idea of what we think church should look like and we want to keep that intact and that's in direct violation of what Christ just prayed for us that they would be one as he and the father are one The prayer is that we would remain faithful together as one, and that that is what brings God's glory. He says, I'm coming to you now. Why he is saying these things aloud, he says, I want you to experience true joy. I want my disciples to experience true joy. I want them to understand that when you put the glory of God as the priority, it is only then that you can comprehend the full measure of joy in your life, the full measure of joy in your relationship with God, the full measure of joy in your relationship with other people. When we make God God's glory, the priority, that is when we experience the immeasurable amount of joy that he has set aside for us. When we allow the glory of God to permeate every area of our lives, every part of it, when it becomes the goal for why we do what we do. We understand the love of the Father in our lives, and we live out what we are created to do. But it seems backwards, doesn't it? It seems a little bit upside down. That in order to truly be fulfilled and to truly find joy and satisfaction in my life, I have to promote and live for someone else. It seems a little bit backwards. I have to stop focusing on my desires and my wants and my dreams, and I have to focus on what someone else has planned for my life. It feels a little bit backwards. I have to put away my selfish desires. I have to put away my thirst for self-gratification. And that type of thinking messes with people. It messes with our heads. It messes with other people's heads. It contradicts everything about our self-centered flesh. It contradicts us. It contradicts our our, our self-centeredness. It contradicts everything about our flesh desires. And it's for that reason that Jesus says, and they hated them. The world hated the disciples not because they were preaching this crazy crazy message of like you know doom and gloom that everybody's going to hell that's not what that's not why the world hated them It's because the message being preached was of Jesus Christ and it doesn't promote myself it promotes and glorifies another it promotes and glorifies God And for those who the Holy Spirit has not yet worked in their lives, they can't comprehend such an outrageous idea. That idea is foreign. It's just crazy. It's crazy thought, right? I mean, what do you mean I shouldn't pursue what feels good for me? What do you mean I shouldn't take care of myself and make sure that I'm taken care of and make sure that I surround myself with everything that I need to take care of myself? You mean, like, what do do you mean don't consume? What do you mean I shouldn't... Do everything I need to make sure that I'm okay. You see, that's it's not actually the disciples that they hated. It was the message of Jesus Christ. And that message was not a message of condemnation. It wasn't a message of an angry God, you know, like and spilling out his wrath. It wasn't a message uh, about uh, shaming people for their sin. The message of Christ was this invitation to know God. The message of Christ was this invitation to, to know their creator. I've seen this verse get used and abused a lot in church. That the world hated them. I've seen Christians talk our, uh, to people and, and argue with people why they're going to hell. I've seen Christians who love pointing out sins in other people's lives and I've seen uh, Christians talk down to people because they don't believe exactly what they believe and they wonder why people hate them and are angry with them and they'll kind of chalk it up to this verse and say, well, Jesus said the world was going to hate me. It must be because I'm a Christian. No, they hate you because you're a jerk. (laughs) Jesus said that they hated the disciples because they challenged the status quo with how they lived their lives. It flipped the world upside down and it wasn't because they condemned everyone or shamed everyone, they simply knew God. They didn't think like the rest of the world anymore. Their priorities had shifted and now the glory of God was all that mattered. And that type of thinking, it's not of this world. It's completely outside of the box. It's completely outside of our flesh. Jesus says this, I'm not praying for you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. I'm not praying that once someone chooses Christ, they immediately get removed from the world and, and you know, as if salvation is this end goal, and when you ask Jesus into your heart, you're done. I'm not even asking for them to be separated from everyone else I'm not asking them to live in this perfect little Christian bubble where they only speak of holy things or where they only watch Christian movies and listen to Christian music and eat their Christian chicken sandwiches. That's not what Jesus is praying here. He says, God, protect them while they're in the world. Protect them, keep them focused, keep them faithful to the words. And to your truth, because I'm asking that you sanctify them by the truth. Your word, God, is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. That they may be set apart. That they may be made holy, just as God is holy. They are sent into this world to not hide or to stay quiet, but to proclaim the glory of God. To make God known to everyone around us through our words and through our actions, through our decisions, through our choices, through our dreams, through our relationships, that they may know God. The Apostle Paul actually says this in his letter to the Ephesians. An early church uh, back in the day, that, he says that Christ will dwell in your hearts and that you will be established in love and, and you may have the power to grasp how wide and deep and long and high is the love of God that surpasses all understanding that you may be filled with the fullness of God that you might know God. And then this is for us to, to, to today, church. This is, this is for us. If you haven't grasped yet that Jesus wasn't just talking about his disciples to God the Father, he wasn't just praying for his disciples, but he was actually praying for everyone who has called themselves or everybody who will call themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. He continues, he says, my prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The goal, the church, is unity. The goal. Is unity the goal is to be one with each other and one with the father and the catalyst of that unity is the glory of God God's glory is the catalyst of that unity the pursuit of God's glory unites us it bonds us together and it connects us with the father Glory is not something that we get to create on our own, but it's something that God gives us and, and 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 gives us, and the Holy Spirit prompts us inside of us. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit prompts us to give that glory back to God. That's what we're doing when we worship together. That's what we're doing when we're sharing God's love with other people. When we're doing things uh, in, in Christ's name, we are glorifying God. We always give glory to God when we're here on Sunday morning and we are gathered together and we are singing praises. That is what we are doing. We are returning the glory that God has given us, the things that he has provided in our lives. We are giving that glory back to God. We praise you. We glorify you, God. There is nothing that we can do on our own accord to bring God glory. It is only done through the Holy Spirit. That is how we get to be a part of this complete unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if God's glory is the catalyst for unity, then the opposite is true. The catalyst for disunity is what? Self-glory. When we are more concerned about being right, being better than someone, pointing out their sins and their flaws, when we're more concerned about what they're doing versus what we're doing and how I'm better than that person, it creates Division in the body of Christ and it robs God of his glory. When I try to take the glory, it robs God of his glory. Why is unity so important? Why is it so important? Jesus says this, so that the world will know God and will know his son, Jesus Christ, and that they will know the width and the depth and the height and the length of the love that God has for us. And this love, it's insane. It's, it's amazing. As we wrap up today, I want to share this point. I want you to I point your attention to this. I want you guys to comprehend this for a second because this is, just, this is insane love. Jesus was about to go through one of the most heinous forms of corporal punishment ever recorded in history. One of the worst. He was about to be beat almost to death. He was about to have his flesh ripped from his back with a whip, his beard torn from his face. He was about to be spat upon. He was about to be ridiculed. He was about to be uh, placed these thorns that were like pressed into his skull. Spikes would be driven into his hands and his feet holding him up on this piece of wood and he would be left There to die as people gazed upon him and his friends abandoned him. He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew it all. He's God. Nothing was hidden. He was fully aware of the pain and the torture that he was about to endure. He even knew about all the people throughout history that were going to reject him and say, I don't believe. I don't want any part of that. Even knowing all of that, I can't imagine the anticipation, the anxiety, whatever he was feeling in that moment, I couldn't imagine. But do you know what he was thinking about in those last moments? Do you know what he was thinking about He was praying for his disciples. He was praying for you. And he was praying for me. He was praying for us. He was thinking about us. He was thinking about how much he loved us and how there were going to be moments when, when we might lose our way and we might be pulled off course by the enemy. He was thinking about us not getting to experience the fullness of his joy. was thinking about us being one with him and with the father and he says these words he says father i want those you have given me to be with me where i am and to see my glory the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world righteous father though the world does not know you i know you and they know that you have sent me i have made you known to them And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Father, I want them to be with me. I don't want to leave them behind. I I, I want them to experience your love just as I've experienced your love. I want them to know you and I'm not going to stop making you known to them through the Holy Spirit in order that so that they will love Just as you have loved them. So that they will know you and so that they will be one. So that they will experience true joy. So that they will be brought into complete unity. So that the world will know the love of their God and their creator. To God be all the glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. This morning, as I was just kind of praying about this morning and what God wanted to speak and minister to our lives, you know, we said this, that to sum up this chapter is God gets the glory and the world will know because of our love for one another. God gets the glory and the world will know because of our love for one another. This morning, that's the invitation. That's the invitation of of making sure we are invited into this place. We are invited into this life. We are invited into this continuous cycle of worship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we continually give him glory. And sometimes we struggle with that. And so this morning, that's the invitation. is, is in everything in your life that we surrender to the glory of God. God, you get the glory. In my job, God, you get the glory. In my family, in my, my, my home, God, you get the glory. In our church, God, you get the glory. In everything that I have, God, you get the glory. In everything that you have provided, God, you get the glory. And we make that known to people through our lives. It's not about self-promotion. It's about giving God glory. And the other invitation is that. Our love For one another, there are moments, there are relationships that may have been severed. There are things in other people in our lives that that maybe we just don't want to be a part of anymore and we just have, have X'd them out because they offended us. There's relationships that maybe God is kind of stirring on your heart this morning that it's about unity in the body of Christ, it's about unity in the family. It's about unity. It might not be in this room. It might be at another church. It might be in another city. It might be in another country. Our relationships with each other, with one another, are so important for the glory of God. And so this morning, that's what I'm asking for you guys to do, is to respond to those two things. We're going to have our prayer teams up here in just a second, and If you're struggling with one of those things, if you're struggling with, man, I have trouble self-promoting and and I, I want to give God the glory, like let God just kind of rest on you this morning. And if you're dealing with something in your life and you have a relationship that you need to go and you need to fix, I mean, if it's somebody in this room, go to that person, fix that relationship, have those hard conversations. It's important. It's the goal of church, of the body of Christ. It's not just whatever, we can sweep it under the rug. No, it's the focus of the body of Christ is to be one as God and the Father are one. And so this morning, if that's something you're struggling to do, I I encourage you to come up and get some prayer. God's going to give you the strength to do that. God's going to give you the words and the wisdom to do that. Let us pursue peace. Let us pursue love for the glory of God. Let's pray, and then I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come on up. Father God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. God, I thank you that you have invited us into this worship cycle, that you have invited us to be a part of who you are, that you have invited us to be a part of what you're doing here in this world, in the world around us, in the relationships around us. Right now, Father God, I lift up, every single person in this room. I lift up every relationship that we have with the people around us. Father God, I pray that you would give us just that, that overwhelming sense and desire to just live in peace with one another, live in love with one another, Father God, to have those hard conversations when we need to have those conversations. God, I pray that you would just, you would, you would focus us on being one as you are one. Lord, our desire is for you to get glory. Our desire is to see you glorified in this place, in our lives, in our families. Lord, that you would be glorified. Above all else, that you would be glorified. And so God, we give you everything. We submit our lives to you. We submit everything that we are to you. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your goodness. And God, we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite the prayer team. You guys can, you guys can uh, hang out if you want to. Hang out in the, in the lobby if you can. We're going to leave this place for just some ministry time. Just want to invite the prayer teams to come on up. If you're struggling with one of those two areas, please, please, please come get prayer. If you're struggling with something else, please come and get prayer this morning. You guys have a wonderful day and we can't wait to see you guys next week. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.